the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Wednesday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. Well, they tell us an ice storm is expected in the Portland area this week. We'll tell you more about that in just a few moments, but... The good news is Pastor Scott Gilchrist will be my guest in the second hour of today's program. He's the pastor at Southwest Bible Church. He's the host of the Downtown Bible Class radio program. And we're going to be talking about the real meaning of Christmas. As it turns out, a lot of people have no idea. So we'll talk about uh, some elements of um, of Christmas, why it happened, what it means to me today in the 21st century, and much more. Pastor Scott Gilchrist in the 5 o'clock hour. Well, according to KGW and the uh, the Weather Channel, moisture from the west and cold winds from the east are expected to converge over Portland starting tomorrow, creating prime conditions for freezing rain. The forecast is increasingly certain, we're being told. Portland is headed for an ice storm. In fact, much of the Willamette Valley and southwest Washington are in for a sustained barrage of sleet and freezing rain starting as early as tomorrow afternoon, with icy conditions persisting as late as Saturday morning. Well, sleet and freezing rain are the kinds of precipitation, rather, that create sheets of ice over every surface with the potential to bring down tree limbs and paralyzed streets and highways arriving in the final three days before Christmas. It's a recipe for a nightmarish holiday travel. Well, the icy um, weather has already arrived in the Columbia River Gorge. Eastbound Interstate 84 was closed for several hours uh, yesterday between Rooster Rock State Park and Hood River after a fatal car crash involving an SUV and a semi-truck. Well, the timeline today, it's expected to be pretty dry, but it's also going to start to get colder as east winds pick up, which is one of the ingredients that's going to fuel the ice storm. Highs for Wednesday will be in the 30s or 40 degrees at the most. I was just outside moving my car moments ago. It's pretty cold. Thursday morning, much of the United States is set for a walloping by a large Arctic air mass. It's going to descend southward this week. It won't extend all the way to the West Coast, but the edge of it will push into eastern Washington and eastern Oregon tomorrow. Well, that ongoing east wind is going to funnel that cold air through the gorge to the Portland area, dropping temperatures to the mid to low 20s on Thursday and setting the stage for an ice storm. The best advice for Portland and Salem residents is to get home by noon while things are still dry. So if you have some last minute stuff to do, try to do that in the morning before noon. Well, light precipitation will slowly develop in western Oregon Thursday afternoon and a warmer air mass from the Pacific will move uh, in a loft, and I'm quoting from those who know, that's the final piece of the puzzle to kick off the ice storm. Well, with some gusty east winds still blowing, the ground temperatures in the low to mid-20s, rain falling from the warm air mass will freeze into sleet on the way down to freeze 
um, as soon as it hits the ground, becoming freezing rain. And we all know what that's like. Well, the National Weather Service has issued a winter storm watch for the Portland area from Thursday afternoon until Friday afternoon. A significant accumulation of freezing rain and sleet is expected along the I-5 corridor in the afternoon. The initial wave of moisture may evaporate, but more will arrive. And it doesn't take much ice to make roads uh, Road travel, very difficult. By Thursday night, the moisture won't let up as it gets dark. Excuse me. The forecast for 9 p.m. Thursday evening uh, shows steady and widespread sleet and freezing rain throughout Portland and the Willamette Valley, southwest Washington. Ice accumulation is very much expected, although the amount of accumulation will depend on the amount of overall precipitation. Ice is also expected in the gorge with snow out further east uh, near Hood River. Some parts of the coast will be warm enough to still get rain, but others uh, will be hit by the same freezing rain as the valley. The heaviest precipitation is expected to fall on Thursday night through Friday night, and it's going to be um, uh, nearly all ice. The actual snow level will be at 4,000 feet, so only higher elevations in the Cascades are likely to see snow rather than freezing rain. Again, we're talking about Friday. And then some parts of the Willamette Valley may start to warm up on Friday with the ice uh, changing to rain, but the area impacted by the ongoing east winds, including Portland, could see icy conditions persist through Saturday morning which is, of course, Christmas Eve. On Saturday, temperatures will warm up on Saturday, particularly in the afternoon as the winds veer to the west and a weather front arrives and pushes out the coldest air, although the gorge will stay icy at least into Saturday night. The warming trend will continue on Sunday, including in the gorge. So there you have it, the forecast for the next few days. Well, I mentioned earlier that the National Weather Service is describing the winter storm bearing down on Buffalo and western New York ahead of Christmas as a once in a generation event. That's a direct quote. The declaration comes as much of the Great Lakes region is under winter storm watches and warnings during one of the busiest travel periods of the year. This once in a generation storm will produce high winds east of Lake Ontario on Thursday night into Friday morning. Then over a larger coverage, uh, our region Friday into Saturday, the uh, National Weather Service uh, Buffalo office says winds could gust up to 65 miles an hour, leading to at least scattered power outages, if not uh, widespread outages in those areas. So we may have it a little bit tough for a couple of days, but it's going to be tougher in other areas. Well, House Minority Leader uh, Representative Kevin McCarthy, Republican out of California, is reportedly going to campaign against The $1.7 trillion omnibus spending bill that Senate Republicans negotiated with Democrats. McCarthy's break with Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell will reportedly come at a GOP lunch meeting and did earlier today, just a day after Senate leadership agreed to the omnibus, according to uh, Punchbowl News. Congress is expected to give a final vote on the package later today. House Republicans, like Representative Dan Bishop out of North Carolina, have taken issue with specific aspects of the bill. Uh, Aside from the huge price tag, Bishop pointed to what he called a sinister portion of the bill that allots nearly $600 million to encourage family planning in places where human population growth threatens animal biodiversity. Malthusianism is disturbing anti-human ideology that should have zero place in any federal program, he went on to say. Republican infighting over the spending bill comes as Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky visited White uh, Washington for the first time since Russia's invasion began back in February. The $1.7 trillion package also includes $45 billion in military funding for the war-torn country. And while McCarthy has called for more scrutiny on funding to Ukraine and in 
an end to blank checks. McConnell says he is all in on continuing to fund Ukraine's defense. We'll talk more about the omnibus uh, bill in just a few moments, but I do need to take a quick break. And again, a reminder, in the second hour, we'll talk with Pastor Scott Gilchrist on this Christmas thing. What's it really all about? We'll be back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. In our second hour, a conversation with Pastor Scott Gilchrist about the true meaning of Christmas. Was it just an afterthought or was this planned from the very beginning? We'll get into that and much more in the five o'clock hour. Well, congressional leaders uh, released a massive $1.85 trillion omnibus spending bill early Tuesday. This 4,155-page bill is filled with woke policies to advance extreme agendas to uh, remake America using your tax dollars. It is unprecedented for a lame-duck Congress to jam through an omnibus spending bill after the American people voted out the majority party in the House of Representatives. However, Senate Republican leaders are working um, or have worked with outgoing House Speaker Nancy Pelosi for one last spending blowout before the conservative majority takes control of the the House on the 3rd of January. Well, the omnibus uh, spending bill is loaded with thousands of earmarks Remember those? Those were the pariah of the Republicans of years past. Well, this is loaded with them, uh, which are line item funding for specific pet projects directed by members of Congress. Well, many of these would advance the uh, extreme agenda, fund its institutions using the taxpayer's money. House Appropriations Chairwoman Rosa DeLauro, a Connecticut um, Democrat, bragged that the omnibus fulfills 98 percent of Democratic members requests in the House with five point four billion dollars for 3,213 Democratic projects. Well, the types of uh, woke waste line items that some Senate Republicans will help fund unless they change their minds, and that's not likely, include these 12, but is certainly not limited to them. $1.2 million for LBG, let me get this right, LGBTQIA plus pride centers, and another $1.2 million for support services for DACA recipients, a.k.a. helping those in the country illegally at San Diego Community College. $477,000 for the Equity Institute in Rhode Island to indoctrinate teachers with anti-racism uh, virtual labs. Now, let me just be clear. I'm not in favor of racism, but it seems to me that these anti-racism programs are themselves racist. One million dollars for Zora's house in Ohio, a co-working and community space for women and gender expansive people of color. Three million dollars for the American LGBTQ plus museum in New York City. Three point six million for a Michelle Obama trail in Georgia. Seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars for LGBT and gender non-conforming house. Housing in Albany, New York, two million dollars for the Great Black in Wax uh, Museum in uh, Baltimore, eight hundred and fifty six thousand dollars for an LGBT uh, center in New York, seven hundred and fifty thousand for the Trans Latin at Coalition to provide workforce development programs and support services for transgender and gender nonconforming and intersex TGI immigrant women in Los Angeles. Now, these are projects. If you want those in your community, raise the funds, have them. But for taxpayer money from across the country, this seems uh, 
illegitimate. Uh, let's see, $2 million for MLK Labor in Washington, an affiliate of the AFL-CIO for expelled Seattle police officers from union ranks. $956,000 for the equity incubator at the Universities of Shady Grove in Maryland. And $791,200 for equitable energy resilience and EV infrastructure in Sonoma, California. Well, these types of projects have no place in the federal budget. If your community supports the idea, you raise the money, that's on you. Well, House Republicans could have banned the corrupt practice of airmarking, but the GOP agreed to keep the pork money flowing with a 158 to 52 vote in November. Well, the airmarks in this omnibus spending bill should be a wake up call to the dangers of allowing airmarks back into Congress's appropriations process. And by the way, I mentioned the uh, the sheer size of this thing, 4,155 pages. It was released yesterday, and they're going to have to vote for it in order to determine what's actually in it, as the outgoing Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, suggested some time back. Well, Wall Street Journal columnist Kimberly Strassel took a rhetorical flamethrower to the latest massive government spending bill yesterday, calling it one of the ugliest, least transparent bits of lawmaking I've ever seen. Well, the journalist ripped the omnibus bill for not only being massively expensive, but for having extraneous bits of legislation that should be voted on separately attached to it. She also claims it was cooked in a back room and hidden from uh, hidden from um, critical eyes. Well, Fox Business reported on the government spending bill Tuesday, stating that federal budget experts and lawmakers were scrambling to digest the giant one point seven trillion dollar spending bill lawmakers released Tuesday morning. But early assessments confirm that the bill is very large and very expansive as well as expensive. The report noted that the bill clocks in at four thousand one hundred fifty five pages will likely draw arguments throughout the week. That it is too large to read and understand in the few days Congress has to pass it before some funding for the government runs out on Friday. So there's pressure to pass it without actually having read it. The bill already has prominent media critics like Strassel, uh, who composed a searing takedown of the spending bill on her Twitter account on Tuesday. In the first tweet of her thread, she denounced the bill as one of the ugliest, as I mentioned, least transparent. She indicated it's uh, not just the spending, though the new domestic numbers are gross, given the trillions spent in the past few years, but the way in which Congress has manipulated the bill to get what it wants. She added, it's also that Congress, in a new trick, is attaching dozens of pieces of standalone legislation to this retirement changes, public lands management, health care policy, cosmetics regulations, Electoral Count Act changes, horse racing rules of an extra uh, of the legislation. The columnist noted everyone deserves a full debate and a roll call vote so that Americans can see where their representatives have actually voted. Well, Strassel, um, she continued, instead of this monstrosity is cooked in a back room and members can claim they had no choice but to vote against a shutdown, ducking accountability. And this is uh, by design and not simply by mistake. In any event, it's going to be debated, well, as much as can be debated, with so little information about what's in it, and it will very likely pass as is, and we'll be um, stuck with the cost of this legislation, not just in terms of taxpayer dollars, but some of the policy that's in it as well. Well, in other news, a report on former President Donald Trump's tax returns was published Tuesday as part of an ongoing investigation by the House Committee on Ways and Means. Democrats with the committee released their findings on Tuesday in a document titled Report on the Internal Revenue Services Mandatory Audit Program Under the Prior Administration. 
2017 to 2020. A complimentary report was also prepared by the Congressional Joint Committee on Taxation. Well, according to the report, Trump paid little to no federal income taxes on his multi-million dollar income from 2015 to 22, as he claimed millions in business losses. The analysis within the report concludes that any lack of proper taxation on Trump's earnings appears to have been ultimately a failing of the IRS and not the result of pressure or obfuscation from the White House. Trump's family of enterprises uh, used reported losses, foreign tax credits, deductions, charitable donations, and many other financial maneuvers to great effect in offsetting taxation on profits. In other words, they applied the laws that exist. Maybe they should be revisited. Well, these business taxes, uh, tactics rather, frequently shrank his otherwise sizable tax requirements down to minuscule amounts, sometimes under $1,000, according to the committee. The committee claims that the Internal Revenue Service failed to audit Trump effectively while he was in office. However, there is no evidence of collusion between the Trump administration and the IRS, nor are there any records of the former president pushing back against reviews of his tax information. The committee's investigation revealed only one mandatory audit was started under the prior administration, and the program was the otherwise dormant at best, the report reads in its preface. Among its findings, the report alleges a lack of oversight of the president due to insufficient resources and undermanned programs. The mandatory audit of the former president was conducted mostly by one revenue agent. The individual tax return of the former president included the activities of hundreds of related and passed through entities, numerous schedules, foreign tax credits and millions of dollars in NOL cash uh, rather carry forwards. The revenue agent noted that the lack of resources was the reason for not pursuing certain issues on the former president's return. Well, unlike prior presidents, Trump said he would not release his returns when he ran for the White House in 2016 and was elected even after making that decision. Republican leaders have said Trump's election victory showed voters didn't care and that there is no reason to pursue his financial information at that point. Well, as a result of the report, the Ways and Means Committee has proposed legislating a requirement for the IRS to issue an initial report within 90 days after the submission of a president's tax returns. The committee has also proposed strengthening the IRS with greater resources to handle high profile and complex tax investigations. But of course, you know, their numbers will grow dramatically in the near future, given the recent funding from the administration. We'll be back in a moment. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show on this first day of winter. Well, in the lead up to the anticipated release of the January 6th committee's final report on the U.S. Capitol riot, five Republicans were denied seats on the committee released their own report Wednesday that largely blamed Democrats and the Capitol Police leaders for security failures that left the building exposed to violence from former President Donald Trump's supporters. Questions about why the U.S. Capitol was unprepared were mostly ignored by the uh, January 6th committee, according to the 141-page report released by GOP representatives Jim Banks, Jim Jordan, Troy Nels, Kelly Armstrong, and Rodney Davis. Well, their report appears to say little about Trump's role in instigating the riot, the primary focus of the January 6th committee. Well, the GOP report found that the Capitol Police had obtained sufficient information from an array of channels to anticipate and prepare for the violence that occurred. But the Capitol was unprepared for a variety of reasons, including internal politics and unnecessary bureaucracy. Well, according to the report, House Speaker Pelosi and Democratic leaders were closely involved in the security decisions leading up to the riot, and Republicans were excluded 
COVID from key meetings and conversations around House security. The report looks at the role of then House Sergeant at Arms Paul Irving, who is a member of the Capitol Police Board. It concludes that the that he rather succumbed to political pressures from Pelosi and Democratic leaders and left Republicans out of important discussions related to security. End quote. As a critical member of the Capitol Police Board, the House Sergeant at Arms had an obligation to all members, staff and USCP officers to keep them safe by consulting stakeholders without partisan preference. The report went on to say well, in the aftermath of the George Floyd protests in 2020, Democratic leaders were also concerned about optics of deploying the National Guard to protect the Capitol, according to the report. The report says that the Capitol Police's frontline officers and intelligence analysts were undermined by the misplaced priorities of their leadership. The report found the Capitol Police Intelligence Division's leader, Julie Farnham, spent weeks leading up to the riot overhauling the division, including assigning expert intelligence analysts to new roles and creating new processes for managing threat data. As a result, information about planned protests and threats of violence were siloed and not properly analyzed and disseminated during this key period because of Farman's misplaced priorities. That unit was disbanded by her almost one uh, on day one. Rather, one Capitol Police intelligence analyst said we at the time of January 6 were not doing proactive searches of social media like we had been before. We were strictly reactive and responding to requests for information. Well, according to the report, the Capitol Police department was plagued by systematic department-wide training failures. Officers were undertrained and ill-equipped to protect the Capitol complex, it found. One officer testified that he went into the fight on January 6th with nothing but his USCP-issued baseball cap. Well, the USCP is set to up to fail, and there have been scant signs of progress toward addressing these weaknesses. In other words, what happened then, if, um, if it were to occur uh, now, would have the same Outcome. The report goes on from there. And other news far from over, an Arizona judge ruled that two Carrie Lake's election challenges, a challenge claims rather, can go to trial. Carrie Lake took to Twitter after the Arizona judge's ruling on her election lawsuit, writing, This is far from over. In the liberal lexicon, Woke University is pushing to eliminate harmful language, cautions against calling U.S. citizens American. If you'll pardon my French, because apparently that's unacceptable. In cartel chaos, the National Border Patrol Council president issued dire warning about who will gain control if Title 42 ends. For the time being, the Supreme Court has upheld the suspension of its overturn until it can rule. No processing. ICE videos show 150,000 migrants unaccounted for due to Biden policies. And the best year ever, major eco groups saw large funding uptick fueled by liberal dark money networks. And bracing for the end, the White House insists the end of Title 42 doesn't mean border the border is open, saying doubters do the work of the smugglers. Health equity. The Biden political appointees to the HIV Council have woke pasts tied to drag queen story hour and Planned Parenthood. Some are scratching their heads. Transparency failed. Biden granted only seven formal interviews with journalists this entire year. In an organized effort, Twitter files part seven. The FBI and the Department of Justice discredited information about Hunter Biden's foreign business dealings. And there was money exchanged by the FBI with these um, Social media outlets. So uh, security ramped up around the Capitol as the White House released details of President Zelensky's visit to the U.S. 
He is addressing Congress even as I speak. Who killed the bill? Representative AOC's uh, swipe at Republicans over the minimum wage quickly backfired with a lesson from her own party. Well, sky high, Americans are struggling with soaring flight prices ahead of the holiday rush, although the weather may make travel, well, less uh, less than likely. Twitter files a fallout. Jonathan Turley says the FBI and Twitter can't get away with a censorship alliance. And Soros nonprofits gave millions to anti-police groups, according to tax forms. While offering coal for Christmas, media outlets call for people to stop having kids in order to save the planet. Typical, CBS News is being called out for claiming airplane turbulence is the result of climate change. There's no evidence, by the way, to support that. Shotgun blast of attacks embattled GOP representative-elect George Santos fired back at the New York Times after his biography is being questioned. Nothing is going to happen to them. MSNBC hosts demand insurrectionists be expelled from Congress like post-Civil War Confederates. The U.S. Supreme Court has frozen the expiration of Title 42 in a setback to the administration's laissez-faire approach to the nation's southern border. The January 6th committee has recommended criminal charges against former President Trump, and the, the Kevin-only campaign looks to bolster Representative McCarthy's effort for speaker. Well, stocks fell for the fourth straight day post-Fed uh, decision to raise interest points by 50 interest, rather by 50 points. A D.C. Democrat has pushed back against a crime reform bill. A lifelong Washington, D.C. Democrat pushed back against those in her own party who are advocating for a sweeping criminal code overhaul to soften repercussions on crime. Neighborhood Commissioner Deb, um, Denise Rucker Krep joined uh, Uh, Fox and Friends first on Monday to discuss her concerns surrounding the bill and its impact on public safety. Stacey Abrams is in debt over $1 million despite fundraising $100 million after raising more than $100 million in her second bid to be the Georgia's uh, governor. Stacey Abrams' campaign owes more than a $1 million in debt to vendors. Two-time campaign manager Lauren Growargo confirmed Abrams has been uh, heralded for her fundraising prowess and has brought in donations at a presidential level earlier in the year. But money became so tight that most of the 180 full-time staffers were given an abrupt paycheck cutoff date just a week after the November election. Elon Musk's poll, he should step down as Twitter's CEO. Twitter users voted decisively in a poll for Elon Musk to step down as chief executive of the social media platform, a backlash against the billionaires less than two months after he took over in what has been a chaotic and controversial reign. Israeli Prime Minister Netanyahu responded to the New York Times saying Israel's democracy is in jeopardy. Uh, The New York Times published an op-ed on Saturday in which the editorial board implied that democracy was in jeopardy due to the recent re-election of Netanyahu as prime minister. Oren explained that Israel had uh, one of the largest voter turnouts for that election, which proved that democracy in Israel is not at stake. Sean Penn believes unvaccinated people are, in fact, criminals. Avowed leftist Sean Penn has a strong position when it comes to unvaccinated people and how they should behave. The 62-year-old would-be dictator, actor, recently made his feelings known when asked by an interviewer how he felt about the anti-vaccine rhetoric. Penn replied, it is a cowardice of conviction. I think that it, it is an unwillingness to engage in a culture of common sense that at this point, it seems criminal to me, actually. 
Hmm. Well, Harvey Weinstein has been found guilty of rape. Jurors reached a split verdict on Monday in the sexual assault and rape trial of the disgraced movie mogul Harvey Weinstein in Los Angeles. Jurors reached the verdict after nearly 41 hours of deliberations over 10 days. And Speaker Pelosi has mentioned uh, introduced a massive one point seven trillion dollar spending bill. They're hashing over it now, even though they won't have time and will not have read it. Hey, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Looking forward to a second hour conversation with Pastor Scott Gilchrist of Southwest Bible Church and the host of the Downtown Bible Class on what this Christmas thing is really all about. Charlie Brown, we'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. I'm looking forward to our next hour, a conversation with Pastor Scott Gilchrist on the true meaning of Christmas. Well, a TikTok ban is included in the omnibus bill, among other ominous things. An influx of Texas National Guard troops arrived in El Paso to assist with border control. Of course, Title 42 ending is the concern when and under what circumstance that might be lifted. Stanford University revealed a list of banned words. Among them is American. Stanford University published an index of harmful language it plans to eliminate from the school's website and computer code, offering terms to be used as replacements. Among the words at the university, urging people to avoid in the imprecise language section in the term American, people are instead asked to use U.S. citizen because American typically refers to people from the United States only, thereby insinuating that the U.S. is the most important country in the Americas. Canada is funding the dissemination of woke ideology. Canada's government granted a group of academics almost $164,000 for a research project called Decolonizing Light, Tracing and Countering Colonialism in Contemporary Physics. A search grant of records confirmed. Disturbingly, the academics involved admit that they have zero interest in performing science or seeking truth, but are instead interested in spreading woke ideology. The purpose of our project is not to find new or better explanations of light. We are not seeking to improve science, uh, scientific truth. Scholars involved in this project wrote in one of the few published works. Rather, our project initiatives are motivated by the marginalization of women, black people, and indigenous peoples, particularly in physics. So it's not really physics, it's something else altogether. So if you happen to be in the class, you're a woman, you're a black person, or you're an indigenous person, you probably won't get a job in physics because you will not have been taught. Wells Fargo plans to pay $1.7 billion penalty in a case of illegal fees. And President Zelensky visited the Capitol today. In fact, he is speaking to Congress at this very moment. Well, DHS let slip Cuban deportees who sought protection. This is legitimately the worst case scenario for the migrants. Los Angeles Times reports the Department of Homeland Security inadvertently tipped off the Cuban government this month that some of the immigrants the agency sought to deport to the island nation had asked the U.S. for protection from persecution or torture. Immigration and customs enforcement officials are now scrambling to for, uh, foreclose the possibility of the Cuban government retaliating against those individuals it knows sought protection here. A massive earthquake in North Carolina... Actually, that's Northern California. They're really two very different places. Left 70,000 without power. And the DEA seized enough fentanyl to kill every single American. 
In a press release Tuesday, the DEA said that it had seized more than 50.6 million fake prescription pills laced with fentanyl, along with more than 10,000 pounds of fentanyl power, powder, rather, with two weeks left in the calendar year. That amounts to more than 379 million lethal doses of fentanyl so far this year, more than enough to kill every single citizen in the United States. I almost said American, but you know that's now. They're Bolton. Uh, there are 333 million people in the United States. President Biden well-documented history of spinning up stories wherein he plays a central character and fictitious memories of the past is so common that it gives rise to questions regarding his, well, his ability to comprehend the past. While speaking to a group of veterans in Delaware last Friday, he relayed yet another fabricated story. He erroneously claimed that while he was vice president at the behest of his father, he was responsible for securing a Purple Heart for his uncle Frank, who had been awarded the medal but never received it for actions in World War II. The president claimed he got the Purple Heart and said, Uncle Frank, you won this. And I want to, he said, I don't want to, well, he said some things I can't repeat. Um, Anyway, uh, the problem with the story is that the president's uncle died in 1999, years before the uh, the now president was ever vice president. Not only that, but Biden's own father died in 2002. To complicate the story even further, there's no record of Biden's uncle having ever received the Purple Heart, and his name is not included on the list of the National Purple Heart Hall of Honor recipients, although that list is not exhaustive. Indeed, the story is uh, such a doozy that even the leftist fact-checking outfit Snopes marked the claim as false. The U.S. Supreme Court holds the border just as the administration was set to end Title 42 border enforcement, a policy that allows U.S. Customs and Border Protection to expel immigrants who have crossed illegally into the U.S. without having to go through the courts. Utah Republican Senator Mike Lee has proposed a bill um, aimed at limiting children's access to pornography online. The bill would require online porn sites to include age verification technology in order for users to access materials. That this bill is needed to be proposed shows just how problematic the industry is. Well, President Biden, in stumping for Democrat candidates in the lead up to the midterm elections, boasted in the second quarter of this year, we created more jobs than in any quarter under any of my predecessors in the nearly 40 years before the pandemic. According to the Labor Department's Bureau of Labor Statistics, the U.S. economy added one million forty seven thousand jobs. Uh, During the second quarter, well, it now appears the BLS job estimate was way off as the Philadelphia Fed's latest employment assessment found the actual employment numbers for 29 states came in well below the BLS estimates. Well, the higher cost of heating your home, a major cold front across much of the country is threatening to bring record cold temperatures, snow and ice, just as many Americans will be traveling for the holidays. Embracing for the cold weather, many folks will be shelling out big bucks just to stay warm this winter as energy prices have increased by over 35 percent since 2020. This winter, Americans on average will spend roughly 17 percent to heat their homes Um, than uh, they did last year. Breaking it down further, for those Americans relying on natural gas to heat their homes, costs are estimated to rise by 25% over last year. It gets worse for houses heated by oil, as costs will rise an estimated 45% over the prior winter. 
Well, just who is Republican Congressman-elect George Santos? Well, the biggest reason politicians have a negative reputation is their profession's long history of playing fast and loose with the truth. It's almost a tautology to say that politicians, well, they're prevaricators. However, there's the unusual political uh, lying that tends toward either exaggeration or shading the truth, and then they're spreading outright false and fabricated claims. It appears that Republican Congressman-elect George Santos falls into the second category. Santos, who is... Um, uh, self-identified as homosexual, seems to have made up much of his past out of the whole cloth, including where he went to college, his Wall Street resume, and his animal rescue charity that saved more than 2,500 dogs and cats. There are no records that back up any of his claims, even his claim that he lost employees in the 2016 Pulse nightclub massacre appears to be completely bogus. Consider the source, but the New York Times reported on the situation, including that he used campaign money to fund a rather lavish lifestyle. Well, Congress released a major spending bill with election reforms to prevent another January 6th. The status of uh, Trump's tax returns was the focus of a Tuesday congressional hearing. And Nunez accuses the Department of Justice of seeking blackmail material during the Russia probe. SCOTUS will hear the challenges to the student loan forgiveness in February. And a judge ruled that Kerry Lake's election challenge can't go to trial on three particular points. Uh, Biden's energy department clamps down on fluorescent light bulbs with new proposal and Stanford released their guidelines to eliminate harmful language. One third of Americans, oops, are considering skipping gift giving altogether this holiday season and the growing obesity crisis in the U.S. prompted the CDC to expand the body mass index chart for severely overweight kids. Hey, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We've got news and traffic coming up here at the top of the hour. And when we return, a conversation with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. We're going to talk about the true meaning of Christmas. What does the Bible have to say about it? And what does it have to do with, well, me? We'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We're looking forward to a conversation with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. From Southwest Bible Class, he's also the host of the Downtown Bible Class. We're going to talk about the true meaning of Christmas. In fact, a new Ipsos poll published in mid-December revealed that 84% of believers surveyed uh, believe that Americans have forgotten the true meaning of Christmas. Now, Among all Americans, including those who are non-religious, 75% believe that the country had forgotten what Christmas truly means, which I found quite interesting. Well, a total of 60% of non-religious respondents said that they agreed or strongly agreed that Americans have forgotten the true meaning of Christmas according to the Ipsos website. So most people believe that the rest of the country has forgotten the true meaning of Christmas or doesn't really have a clue. But I wonder how many of those who said, yeah, the country has forgotten actually understand it themselves. Well, here to talk about the true meaning of Christmas is Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Once again, he is the pastor at Southwest Bible Church. He's also host of the downtown Bible class, and he has graciously consented to join us to talk about the true meaning of Christmas. Pastor Scott, welcome and Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you, Georgine. Thanks, thanks for uh, having me on. It's great to, and I love your subject. Oh, thank you. The true meaning of Christmas. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I've had several conversations over the last several weeks uh, with people who had had encounters with others who question what is the true meaning of Christmas. I think we assume that we're we're Americans, we have a post-Christian culture, but there's a general understanding of what Christmas really is all about, but I'm not so sure that's the case any longer. What's your impression? Well, it's it's similar. I think uh just just watching our culture 
drift further and further from its uh, moorings, you might say. Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of people, individuals, who really don't understand. And I think that's maybe always been the case. It is, uh, I think, appropriately been the biggest celebration of the year. I mean, when you think about what we're really celebrating, that God became man and uh, came down here to save us, why we should celebrate. But the celebration itself, I think, has always been a little bit uh, able to miss the point and all the gift giving and commercialism and that sort of thing can keep people from remembering whose birthday we're really celebrating. But I think you're right. I think that uh, in the in recent years where we've drifted even further to where a lot of people probably wouldn't even be able to say uh, just the the bare facts of of why we celebrate. Yeah, yeah. In fact, as you mentioned a moment ago, this is such a significant uh, occasion. If there's no incarnation, there's no crucifixion, there's no resurrection, there's no seating at the right hand of the Father where he makes intercession for us. There's no preparing a place for us. So Emmanuel, God with us, all begins at this occasion. And to have little or no understanding of the significance of that um, is such a sad loss uh, I think it's worth discussing for folks who may have real questions. No, I agree with you. In fact, I, I just I meet people all the time that really don't know uh, what what we're talking about with Christmas because really Christmas is uh, the greatest story ever told, and it's not merely a seasonal event. It's the truth that we were created in the image of God, and until we come to know Him. Life can be pretty much a grind, and uh, we, we weren't created to just grind it out. We were created for relationship with God, and if nothing else uh, is heard, why Christmas, this event where God became man, teaches us that God does care about you. He loves, and He loves you, and He uh, He acted on His love. It's a personal love. And so I'd love to just uh, chew on it with you a little bit and talk about it. Yeah, absolutely. I think the the culture has borrowed some elements of Christmas that has created a cynicism in many of our neighbors. This idea that, you know, peace on earth, you, you, you exclude that from, you take it out of the Christmas story, and it has very little meaning. There's supposed to be joy. You re- remove that from the elements of the Christmas story, the birth of the baby, and it has very little meaning. It falls short of what expectations are, and so people... Eh, you know, Christmas doesn't mean that much. Let me ask you, as a 21st century man, why does this story, why should it matter to you and me today? Well, it really is all about the historical event that was long predicted and prophesied and longed for in the human heart uh, that God sent a Messiah, a Savior. He sent his son. In fact, you already quoted one of the amazing prophecies. Uh, he himself, God the Son, came. Uh, and so, you know, 700 years BC, uh, Isaiah the prophet, the Hebrew prophet, said, A virgin will be with child and will bear a son and will call his name Emmanuel, God with us. And the New Testament uh, begins right there. 
and picks up on that. And uh, 700 years after Isaiah made that prophecy, and that wasn't the first, there had been centuries and actually literally hundreds of mm-hmm. prophecies. And the human heart longs for relationship with this personal God. And God acted. And uh, the New Testament begins with four accounts of this man, Jesus, who was called Emmanuel, God with us. And so uh, that's been a life-changing truth for me. I know it has been for you and for many of your listeners. And at the same time, there's no doubt people listening that really need to to get hold of this and let it get a hold of them. And so I would just say... uh, You know, I've thought about it many, many times because I have the privilege of talking about Christmas in many different situations and events. And and, uh, if I were to try to summarize it, I might just quote the most famous verse in the Bible because it isn't merely about his birth. As you mentioned, had he not been born, why he couldn't have lived the perfect life he did and, and offered himself as a sacrifice for us. And he... We wouldn't have a high priest seated at God's right hand praying for us, and and we wouldn't have the certain and blessed hope that he's coming back, and he's going to set things right, and there will be peace on earth. So all those things uh, are permeating the message of the Bible, and I, I would say that if I were to try to summarize it, the most famous verse in the Bible, perhaps, for God so loved the world that he acted, that he gave his only son, that whoever would believe in him, would trust him, would rely on him, would not perish, but would have eternal life. That's actually the text that brought me to a personal relationship with Christ and and many, many others. Uh, and so, you know, I thankfully I don't have to reduce it to one verse. There's many, many statements throughout the scripture But uh, I would want your listeners to know today, no matter how dark this world seems or discouraged they might be, uh, we live in a world of fear and anxiety and stress and enmity. And, you know, it's just uh, in that darkness, Scripture says, the people sitting in darkness saw a great light. And that's uh, that's another prophecy from Isaiah that Matthew tells us is was fulfilled in Jesus, the one who said, I am the light of the world. Mm-hmm. And he comes into a person's life and and brings life and light and joy and peace and and all the things uh, that we do associate rightfully with Christmas. We're going to continue our conversation with Pastor Scott Gilchrist, but I need to take a quick break. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Back in a moment. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show, having a conversation with Pastor Scott Gilchrist about the true meaning of Christmas. As we continue, I wanted to give you an opportunity to address some misconception about uh, the incarnation of Christ, his coming, God with us in the form of a baby. Um, was this an afterthought? Was this, a, uh, you know, God's effort to come up with a plan B since man t- mankind fell short? Was God taken by surprise at man's rebellion? Or was um, the incarnation and the cross God's plan from the very beginning? You've made several references to Scripture um, in the Old Testament. Can you help to put this into context for us? 
<laughs> well, I hope so, because uh, I think sometimes people do look at this as maybe an afterthought or, <clears throat> excuse me, a uh, a plan B kind of a thing. And, uh, you know, was God surprised at man's sin and the dilemma? And then he acted. And actually, God has never been surprised. <laughs> and his... Uh, he had planned, the scripture says, he's he's the eternal one. We can't even get our finite minds around him, and but we, we're we not called to really understand him. We're called to worship him. Mm-hmm. And one of the, the great reasons we worship him is that he, he did send his son, but that wasn't an afterthought. He had planned from all eternity to save us. The New Testament is, well, both Testaments, really but are full of statements that uh, before the foundation of the world, he chose us out in Christ and uh, planned to send his son. And this great drama of redemption wasn't just kind of something, him reacting to things. God, uh, God planned to send his son. And when man sinned, he immediately began to promise a savior. And those you referred to it, it's one of the most amazing things about the Bible. People sometimes ask me why I believe the Bible is the Word of God. And there are many, many reasons, uh, but I have been blown away by the accuracy of these prophecies Mm -hmm. when God began to pinpoint that he was going to send a man into the world. The very first promise of Christ was in Genesis 3. And he's referred to as the seed of the woman. And though it's not explicit, uh, and often the Bible works this way, it is a veiled reference or a cryptic reference to the the virgin birth, that uh, Jesus wasn't born of a human father. We wouldn't normally use the term seed of the woman uh, because we would think seed of the man, but there was no human father involved. And Mary, Mary couldn't believe it. You know, she, she said, how could this be? And the angel explained to her, the angel Gabriel, that uh, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the holy offspring will be called the Son of God. And so the very first promise in the Bible of a Messiah, of a Savior, uh, pointed to this one who would come from the human race, but not be tainted with the sin of the human race. And then it goes on from there, and it's kind of, I often compare these prophecies like, a, like an address, uh, a prophetic address. Uh, I'm still kind of surprised that with, I think it's what, eight, 8 billion people in the world, with about four or five lines, I can send a message, you know, to the continent, mm-hmm. the country, the state, the city, the street, and it's there <laughs> to a friend or whatever. And the Bible starts by saying Jesus will come from the human race. And then in Genesis 12, he said he'll come from a certain nation. Uh, he will come from the, from Abraham. And Abraham would, he'd make Abraham a great nation, which would be a blessing to all the nations. And uh, from there, he actually, you know, Abraham had Isaac and then Jacob. And Jacob had 12 sons, the 12 tribes of Israel. His name was changed to Israel. 
And a lot of the Christmas music that we sing, you know, celebrates these kinds of things. And increasingly, like you mentioned at the outset of our discussion, people are a little bit unaware of this sometimes. But uh, he would come from not just Abraham, but Isaac, not Esau, but Jacob. And Jacob's name was changed to Israel. And he had these 12 sons who became the 12 tribes. And God said, this Savior I'm sending will come from the tribe of Judah. And so he began to narrow it down like that. And, of course, when we get to the New Testament, Jesus is called the Son of Man in the sense that he is human. He is fully human. He's man the way man was meant to be. Mm -hmm. And he is the Son of Abraham. And, in fact, he is... Uh, from Israel. He's the king of the Jews, and he is actually from the tribe of Judah. And so this prophetic address written hundreds of years earlier is an astounding, uh, not only an astounding uh, earmark that this is indeed God. God is the only one who can give these kinds of prophecies, but Every one of them has precious truth for people today like you and me that God so cared and so loved that he planned from the beginning to save me and you and whoever will call on his name. It really is a remarkable thing. And when you consider what it meant for God to put on flesh, to be fully God and fully man, to come in a lowly uh, stable to be born of a, a woman who was uh, had no reputation, who uh, um, was known uh, by so few to, you mm-hmm. know, on that night. It really is remarkable that God would choose that scenario to bring his son into the world in order that you and I might be reconciled to him. Yeah, the humility of it. Yes. And we're the ones that are surprised. You know, earlier I said God is never surprised because he knows the end from the beginning, but we should be shocked and surprised and kind of stay in a state of blown away awe that God would would do such a thing. And of course, both Mary and Joseph uh, needed that kind of reassurance. I already pointed out how in Luke, Mary said, how can this be? I'm a, I've never known a man. I'm a, I'm a virgin. When the angel said, you're going to bear a son. And when Joseph heard this he he was blown away and he and he thought the worst and the angel told him no this is of god don't be afraid to take mary and in fact in both cases the angel said do not be afraid and i've been noticing just this season even how many times around the christmas story uh, god would say do not be afraid i've been told that that's the most famous uh command in the scripture, not famous, but uh, frequent Mm -hmm. command in the scripture. And certainly when Zacharias was told that he would have a son that would be John the Baptist to introduce Jesus, why he was afraid. And the angel said, don't be afraid. And the angel told Mary, don't be afraid. Joseph, don't be afraid. And then when the angels announced to those shepherds who were terribly frightened when they saw this light in the dark sky of all these angelic hosts, he said, don't be afraid. I've got good news of a great joy, which shall be for all the people. And I think that's a very uh, 
purposeful statement that we can say today with great confidence, uh, if tonight you're, you're fearful, don't be afraid. When you look at God, you don't need to be afraid. You can know this is the God who sent his son for you. This world gives us all kinds of reasons to be fearful and anxious. And other people can make us fearful. But when we realize that God, our creator, loved us so much that he sent his son, no wonder it is the most frequent statement. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. So there's uh, many things about the pre, uh, I want to say pre-incarnate promises before he before he became man all these promises that find their fulfillment in Jesus and one of the first things that comes out of the angel's mouth and still gives me great comfort do not be afraid mm, and as so I've good. gotten to know Christ I I say boy that's so true I don't have to fear even though if I'm going through the valley of the shadow of death uh, we have a dear friend that's uh near death and going through that valley of the shadow of death. But she knows the Lord Jesus. And just like the psalm says, she doesn't have to fear evil uh, because you are with me, the psalmist says. And Jesus is the one who said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. We're talking with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. We're talking about the true meaning of Christmas that so few seem to understand these days. I appreciate uh, Pastor Scott, helping us to think through the events that took place on that first Christmas and how they relate to us today and our future and our hope in Christ. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Back in a moment. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show, continuing my conversation with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. We're talking about the meaning of Christmas that can so easily be obscured by all of the commercialism and the distractions that turn our attention and focus away from the meaning of this uh, this season, Christ being the incarnate one. It's interesting to me that God chose such a humble circumstance uh, to bring his son into the world, which tells us a great deal about his uh, value system. We would tend to think that he would come with pomp and circumstance, that that's the kind of impressive entry uh, that that would uh, capture our attention. But God chose a very humble circumstance, a humble couple, very few that came, the shepherds who were uh, not considered uh, um, influencers in their uh, in their day. Uh, you had three uh, kings, wise men that came from some distance. But this was a, a relatively quiet event. Uh, if you don't count the angels in the host in the heaven that that declared what was happening. Why, why would God choose such a simple way of sending his son? And what should we learn from that? Well, I think I think uh, the humility of Jesus is is uh, just shocking, really. Uh, The scripture says, even though he was God, he humbled himself and became man. And then the fact that he came, as you mentioned, uh, not to the five-star hotel, but to uh, a feeding trough. I mean, we sentimentalize it to some extent, uh, but but it was like there was no no room. If you've ever been in a city where you can't find a place to stay, it's a lonely place to be in. And that was the case with Joseph and Mary and 
and baby, the baby was born and laid in a manger. And I think, if nothing else, we should learn that uh, God is looking for humility. It's a fruit of the Spirit. Uh, Christ-likeness will be not uh, lording it over people and uh, you know strutting, but the opposite. Those who really know Jesus uh, walk with humility. So I think that's at least one thing we can learn from that. And it is it is uh, an amazing entrance. We would expect the king to enter completely, uh, like you said, with pomp and circumstance. But I think it, it carries over into other things. I mean, we we can sometimes we can get caught up in the in the celebration with the music. I mean, the music of Christmas is so beautiful, and yet some of it can be merely sentimental. Mm-hmm. And uh, we kind of create a, a Christmas where Christmas is, I've even heard Christians say, well, Christmas is all about family. Hmm. Well, you know, that may not be the case. Uh, I'm sure there are children of God, people who've put their faith in Jesus listening to us right now, who have no family here on earth. Uh, And yet they are finding the joy of having a heavenly father and a family in the body of Christ to that is so much better than merely sentimentalizing these things and saying family. I mean, we have family gathering, and I'll bet you do too, and we're looking forward to it. But I was I was listening to some music on the radio just the other day, and and it was uh, the song. It wasn't the old one. I'll I'll be home for Christmas, but it was another. It was a beautiful song, and it said, "Come home, come home." And I thought to myself, I'm eager to have my family come home and be together. But then it just struck me that Jesus left home Mm. in order to save us. And so in a sense, that whole the whole entrance that you just mentioned is capsulized by he didn't come home. He left home. He left the glory and intimacy with his father in heaven and came to this sin scarred planet knowing that he would be rejected, knowing that not only would there be no place in, for them in the the hotel system, the inn, there was no no room in the inn, so he'd be born in a in a manger, but knowing that ultimately they would say, "Crucify him, crucify him," and I was just sobered by just those thoughts running through my mind that, uh, you know, he's he's the only man who came. To die. Uh, the rest of us, <laughs> we think in terms of life, and when we have a baby and there's birth, we're, we're thrilled about life, and we should be. And Jesus came to live among us. There's no question about that. And his his life was lived like no other man. I mean, it was it's a an amazing life. But he stated several times, uh, very publicly, he came to offer his life as a sacrifice. Uh, he said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. So the, in one sense, regarding our expectations and our way of looking at things, I'd almost say the upside down nature of it. Uh, God reverses our thinking. So as you mentioned, we might think of a king coming with with great glory, and he will, by the way. That's right. We know how the Bible ends. He will return in great glory. 
But when he came into the human race, he came in as a humble Savior and one who came to serve and to give his life. And so we we rightfully should beware of just turning it into a uh, kind of a commercial binge, you know, as a celebration <laughs> and uh, and think in terms of how can we look out for others and serve others and manifest that same kind of love that God did. Yeah, it's a real challenge to keep the main thing, the main thing during this season and to seize the opportunity that many of our neighbors and coworkers might during this season be more open to the presentation of the gospel than they might be any other time of the year, mm-hmm. primarily because their expectations are are hung on something that cannot fulfill the the outcome. You know, at the end of the holiday season, so many people are just kind of worn out, and I'm glad that's over, rather than um, the crescendo of joy and anticipation uh, and reflecting on the promises that God has kept in sending His Son and the promises that are yet to be fulfilled that we can look forward to, to seize that opportunity to to focus on those uh, scriptures that are so meaningful um, I think helps us to keep him at the center of the celebration and to extend that uh, that opportunity to others who may not know him. Well, I agree with you thoroughly. I've had the privilege in the last couple of weeks of of having good conversations with many different people who are in that very situation you said where this world is not a place of light and love and joy. It's a place of darkness and fear and anxiety. And yet they're, they're asking those very questions you were posing. And I've had the privilege of pointing them to Jesus. And I think all of us as Christians should be alert that this time of year in particular, uh, we have an opportunity to talk about the real thing. And uh, it isn't merely a celebration. It isn't. It's kind of, in some ways, the the it's the opposite of ho ho ho. You know, <laughs> it is. It's it's and and some of the music is so thoroughly biblical. I would encourage your listeners to listen to some of the traditional Christmas music where the truth of what Jesus did is explained in song so well and we get so familiar with it we may not we we may not mm-hmm. hear it you know mm-hmm. hark the herald angels listen listen to what they're singing hark the herald angels sing glory to the newborn king veiled in flesh the godhead see jesus the deity i mean it's 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 just amazing what is said in, in, in a lot of the music that we can get so familiar with that we just kind of hum along or sing along and don't think about the beauty of what God did at this time. So I think it is a great season of opportunity, like you mentioned, and there are people all around us who are not experiencing the love and the joy and the peace that Christ came to offer. Amen. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll talk about how should we respond to this gift that God has given us in his son. He didn't stay in the manger. There's much more to the story about which we rejoice. So we'll be back in just a few moments. I'm reminded of the the, uh, lyrics, Christ by heaven, highest heaven adorned, Christ, the everlasting Lord. Late in time, behold him come, offspring of a virgin's womb, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity, pleased as man with men to dwell. Jesus, our Emmanuel. Charles Wesley will be back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. 
is aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the final segment of the Georgine Rice Show. We're talking with Pastor Scott Gilchrist about the true meaning of Christmas. The scripture makes it clear that uh, Jesus came for a purpose and the fulfillment of prophecy that you made reference to throughout the Old Testament and what we read in the New um, tells us that he came with, with purpose that has a very personal application for those who would put their trust in him. What's an appropriate response to uh, recognizing God kept a promise that was made from the very beginning of time and that that promise not only included uh, the the coming of a Savior, but that that Savior would accomplish uh, some things that would give us access to the throne of grace. What's my appropriate response during this season as we reflect on the beginning of the life and ministry of Jesus on earth? Well, I would say worship. Mm, We worship him. The wise men came and they fell down and worshipped him. But to to kind of flesh that out a bit, you know, I've quoted Isaiah several times, and Isaiah wrote the amazing prophecy of the death of Christ, that he came to be the man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And he himself, the sinless one, bore our sins in his body on the cross. And the New Testament takes that great prophecy and explains it and expands on it. Uh, God sent his son to be the sacrifice for our sin. The wages of sin, death, Jesus, or God, I should say, said way back at the beginning, Adam, you can do anything you want here, but just don't eat of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The day you eat of that tree, you will surely die. And the ultimate uh, result of sin is death, physical death and spiritual death. And so Jesus came as the sinless one and died in our place. And if you say, what's the proper response? We need to turn to him. You'll often hear what I've quoted. Uh, I'm quoting from the sixth chapter of Romans when I say the wages of sin is death. And sometimes we hear that and we don't hear the rest of the sentence. But the the verse says, the wages of sin, sin has, has wages to it. We deserve death. But then there's a comma and he says, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And maybe the simplest way to put it, we've talked about how easy it is to miss the the real meaning of Christmas, is that many people will open gift after gift in the next week and leave unopened the gift of God in Christ Jesus. And so I would I would say if you since you asked me, I'd say, well, that the response is to say thank you to God for the gift of Jesus Christ. And uh, I I encourage people, I've had the privilege, as I said, two or three times in the last uh, two weeks to just listen as people who've understood this have said to God in their own words, I'm a sinner. And I thank you that you came to this world to die for my sin. And I invite you to be my Savior and my Lord my Christos, my Messiah. And I'll tell you what, God never turns down a repentant sinner. So 
I would say the response and the necessary response and the God-honoring response is to respond in faith and trust and ask him to take our lives over. And he does. And he changes us from the inside out. And things we could never do for ourselves, like some people think of it as just turning over a new leaf, but we've tried that and we just can't change ourselves. When we invite Jesus Christ into our life as our Savior and Lord, when we trust in him, he actually comes into our life through his Holy Spirit and changes us from the inside out. Jesus called it being born again born spiritually. And I would hope that everyone listening to our voices uh, right now that would be sure that they have put their faith in Christ and accepted that gift that God offers freely. It cost him everything. It was the most costly uh, gift ever given, uh, the blood of his son. But when we turn to him, we can find life and joy and peace in all that we've been talking about. What do and you not s- just for time, but for eternity. for eternity. What do you say to the one who says that is such an appealing invitation? As soon as I get fill in the blank, get myself together, <laughs> as soon as I resolve this, this area that I have a particular weakness in, then I'll come to him. What do you say to the one who believes that I have to get myself um, in a better place before I can approach God who uh, extends that invitation? Yeah, you know, I... I encourage people all the time to to that you, we really can't get ourselves in a better position, right. and and in fact, oftentimes that keeps us from taking the lowly position of saying, "Hey, I'm a sinner." I uh, I had a, a man recently. I he said he was ready, he, and I said, "Well, I think you ought to just tell the Lord what's on your heart." And he bowed his head and he said. He didn't say, I'm a sinner. He said, I'm definitely a sinner. Mm. And it just, it hit me. And he asked Christ to forgive him and cleanse him. And he, he now has the joy of life eternal. And so uh, the Bible never talks about waiting until you're, you're more worthy or ready. Now we come as, as enemies of God and sinners, and he is the one who's reached out to us. And his arms are wide open to anyone. He said, come unto me, all who are together and have it together. No, he said, <laughs> come unto me, all who are weary That's right. and burdened and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. I'll give you rest. And he does. And uh, that is why we celebrate what Jesus did for us. I'm so grateful for um a place in his presence in eternity. But I often, as I'm praying for unsaved friends and loved ones, the joy of salvation um, that, that we have the opportunity to experience now, just the joy of knowing him, having a life that has focus and purpose experiencing the indwelling work of the Holy spirit, opening his word and having some understanding. I tell you, there is nothing like it. And it, any other experience of trying to muster up goodwill and, um, and all of that that comes with the season will fall far short of the, the real article, the genuine thing. And to ex- accept the gift that God has given us uh, in his son. Uh, again, there's nothing like it. Well, I couldn't agree more. And and we don't wait to get eternal life when we die. We are given eternal life the moment we put our That's faith right. in Christ. 
And yes, we still have trouble. We will still get diagnoses we don't like, and we might lose our job. And we have, you know, he didn't promise us an easy life down here. He said, in this world, you'll have tribulation, but take courage. I've overcome the world. And like you said, uh, we have right now that love and that joy, and it's only going to get better. It's only going to get better. Amen. Well, Pastor Scott, thank you so much for talking with us today about the true meaning of Christmas. And I hope anyone listening who doesn't yet have that relationship with him, that you would search his word, that you would seek him, confess your need for a savior. All of us are sinners and uh, and receive the special gift of life that he extends to us all. Thank you so much, Pastor Scott. Well, thank you, Georgine. It's great to be with you. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you, too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. God with us is eternity's sonnet, heaven's hallelujah, the shout of the glorified, the song of the redeemed, the chorus of the angels, the everlasting oratorio of the great orchestra of the sky. I finish by saying happy Christmas to you all. That was a quote from Charles Spurgeon reminding us of this great occasion we call Christmas, that we'll have an opportunity to celebrate together or alone, but of course, in his presence and with gratitude for his gift. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Thanks for, so much for joining us. I want to thank James Blend for producing, Sam Moppin for engineering, and thank you for making The Georgine Rice Show part of your day. Have a great night. Thanks for listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at G. Rice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.